Dream Pod, end of July, NBA draft, and COVID Olympics talk, along with preseason football. Let's get right to it. Number one story, volatility in the Green Bay Packers. So, obviously, a lot of questions about Aaron Rodgers. Was he going to play? And what the books did is initially, they went and lowered Green Bay season win number from 10 and a half down to nine. And that really was a hybrid number that assumed he had about a two-thirds chance to go ahead and stay in Green Bay. And they left it up, and then finally the books rightfully so, were afraid that there'd be resolution on this matter and Rodgers would be reported in or out. And a lot of the books did indeed take it off the board, which was a smart move because inevitably the tweet came out that Rodgers was going to report to camp and things return back to what the expectation was earlier in the year, that Green Bay would be one of the contenders in the NFC with Rodgers. Their season win goes back up to 10 and a half. And with that volatility created some opportunity in terms of betting. You don't see this every day in the NFL. Last Thursday night, I bet Green Bay against the Saints. I bet Green Bay plus three. This is NFL week one lines. Turn right around today. It's a Wednesday. And I'm going to bet the Saints plus three. And frankly, with my uh, with the current situation for the Packers, I would rate Green Bay, don't have to guess, I have my numbers here, preliminary numbers, still tweaking all of them. I got Green Bay four points better than an average team. I have the Saints as an average team, so four-point differential. Got to give the Saints at least three for their home field advantage. That would only make the game one. So given that solid value for the Saints, catching three in this game. Of course, you do have to be concerned about brand-new quarterback for the Saints and them not having Michael Thomas, who frankly wasn't any good last year as well. But uh, at this point, the line has moved enough that I think that the Saints plus the three would have the value. Mackenzie, I'm curious, would you agree? I would. I was just talking to new associate producer Spencer about a week ago, and I'm like, man, the Packers are plus three. I don't get it. Aaron Rodgers is probably going to play. You know, we didn't we didn't act on our intuition, but we both thought that same thing. With Rodgers, tremendous value. Six-point swing does seem extreme to me. I agree with you, value now with the Saints. As good as the value looks on that, I think there was better value to be had in some selective bets over the past couple of weeks, including the Olympics, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Taking advantage, my man. So last pod last week, if you missed it, all right, I'm past posting. But it's not it's not really past posting when it's your best bet. I did give out the U.S. gold medals under 46 and a half. My rationale was that the travel, the along with the different culture in Japan, would be extremely difficult for many in the U.S. You know, I didn't even have the exact details. I was just reading up that um, – Apparently, in the Olympic Village, you can only show up five days early. I uh, can't show up earlier than that. And after your event is over, you have to leave shortly after. That's no big deal, obviously. But um, the protocols regarding arrival, certainly big disadvantage. And in the last six Olympics, the three Olympics that were in better time slots, closer to home, Closer culture to the U.S., there was one in, in the U.K. The U.S. had averaged right around 46 gold medals. And the three that were more challenging, Australia, 
uh, Korea, excuse me, China, Beijing, and the third one in Greece, the U.S. had averaged only 36. So it's still early, but the U.S. currently is trending below expectations. I expect that they're going to struggle to even get to 40. So under 46 and a half right now certainly looks good with China that was only projected to get 36 and a half gold medals and Japan, I think 27 and a half. Both those countries have a slim gold medal lead over the USA. I will say this. It is rather frustrating for my son who's watching the Olympics to see me constantly <laughs> rooting against his host country. Daddy, why do we hate America? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, including the a women's gymnastics team, obviously that's a huge story. Um, I do not want to ever talk about mental illness as not being a significant problem in this country and throughout the world, and it certainly is. However, I have to say that uh, we've gone from a society where growing up you used to get a trophy if you won, and now you get a participation trophy if you participate, and we've taken it one step further, and if you choose not to participate, well, then you're showing incredible bravery. I just can't buy into this. I, uh, I, it's very disappointing across the board, and certainly I think it has caused the Olympics to lose a lot of their luster. Would you agree, Mackenzie? A hundred percent. It can't be the noble or the hard thing to do or the thing that we should be amazed by when it literally is not doing anything. The easiest path of resistance can't be the brave route. I mean, first of all, I'll say Simone Biles has done many, many competitions, hundreds of competitions, thousands of competitions, won four gold medals, more than any Olymp uh, individual in women's Olympics. You know, she's proven herself that she's, you know, tough, that she has it. But, uh, and, and the fact that she backs out, that's her decision. But the fact that we're responding the way we are, CNN posted this article, the most GOAT thing Simone Biles ever did was dropping out of the Team Olympics. It makes no sense. Like, that... We can't be it can't be easier to quit than it is to fail. We have to be okay with failing. If she would have gone out there and been seventh, a lot of people would have written, was she not right? What was up with her mentals? That would have been better. That would have been more noble, in my opinion, if I was watching with my son and I was trying to teach him a lesson. It's okay to go out there and be seventh because you didn't have it that day. That is more noble than just packing it in. Yeah, and I guess a, a good lesson for all of us is that for someone who does go out, and I will be the first one to admit to be hypercritical of athletes and the like, and to go ahead and respect those who do go out and who do struggle and underperform and just don't have it. And, you know, we're a society we love to when someone consistently struggles and has Buckner moments in the on the biggest stage right. to throw them under the bus. And like Paul George, we did that to him for years, you know, and finally had a huge playoffs this year. But um, I think that that is a valuable lesson to remind all of us that um, for the most part, you know, the athletes out there, they are doing the best they can under extreme pressure. There's no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, that's certainly a factor. And uh, hopefully we'll have some Olympic moments at the uh, towards the tail end of the Olympics and um, just not too many U.S. golds on the, <laughs> on the oh. second half. And, and bottom line is, you know what, I, Mackenzie, yeah. I have become a mercenary. <laughs> 
all of my pro betters that I know, the most successful ones, we have no favorite team. They've all let us down. We are just betting to make the money. And there's such a disconnect whenever I meet, and this does happen, where I'll meet a guy that's like an enormous Chicago Blackhawks fan. Or an enormous um, hockey fan seem to be the biggest extreme guys, or Chicago Bears fans, and they literally will be depressed for two days after their team is eliminated from contention for the playoffs or the playoffs. And for me, I, I almost look at this. It's like, you know, when we're a parent and, and we have like our little child and he loses and he has a hissy fit and a temper tantrum, and we're like, what do you? You got to grow up. You got to mature. It's all about. You know, this is about the participation and going out there and doing your best. So I'm still amazed that, um, and this seems to be much more a male thing than a female thing. Although it's you know certainly for for it can apply to anyone. That um, if you're depressed for a week and you don't want to talk to anyone when your Red Sox lose, probably need to reprioritize maybe what's going on with your life. Did you ever have that um, affiliation with any team, McKenzie, or currently? No. I saw Fever Pitch when I was nine, and I said, I'm not going to be Jimmy Fallon losing to the girl to my Red Sox fandom. It's not going to be me. Never. Not going to happen. I will take your word on that with Jimmy Fallon. I'm just <laughs> happy I know who he is. Uh, let's talk a little NFL betting strategies. And let's start out with buying points. Buying points for a good period of time back in the 90s was very profitable. Most specifically, there were books that let you buy on and even a few select books that let you buy off the three in the NFL for 10 cents. Now, this was back when totals in the NFL were getting dealt in the 35s range and games were landing on three. I would say the team that was favored by three was winning by three more than 10% of the time. So being able to take a minus three and a half and bet minus two and a half, minus 130 was enormously profitable. All right. All those days have come and gone. Kind of the last um, survivor that for years the station in locally in Vegas would let you buy a three and a half down to minus three, lay a dollar 20, or a two and a half up to plus three, lay a dollar 20. Their theory is, well, it won't hurt us because you're only getting a push. You're not getting a win out of that. They're, they were wrong mathematically about that. But um, all those opportunities are gone. So bottom line is, you, and you still hear this all the time, oh, go ahead and buy onto the three or off the three. No, there's, I don't know of any books anymore that it's profitable to buy on or off the three. If you can find a college football book that lets you buy on or off the three for 10 cents. That is indeed still a the right thing to do. So given if you're going to bet a plus two and a half in college minus a dollar 10, it's better to play plus three and lay a dollar 20. The seven point spread in college, though, has actually become a nice little um, opportunity at some books where they'll let you buy not just on but off the seven for 10 cents. Not many, but enough out there. So that's certainly an opportunity to look for as you accumulate books, and this is the time of year during the summer, that you should absolutely be asking all your friends, going to the local sports book, looking at who's betting, asking them who they're betting through. Accounts like that are absolute gold that let you do things like this. Uh, teasers. If you can find a account that lets you tease NFL, six-point teaser minus $1.10, that is so powerful versus laying minus a dollar twenty. I still give out the occasional teaser. The widely available is minus a dollar twenty. You know what? With the average total rapidly reaching close to fifty, I don't know if I'm going to tease NFL anymore. 
It's certainly giving it out at minus a dollar twenty. It's just too difficult and too volatile to win with um, the higher VIG associated with it and the greater variance, frankly, in the NFL with the results. Uh, Mackenzie, you got a book that lets you tease for minus a dollar ten? Not that I know of. I'll have to double check. By the way, the people are wondering what's the out count. When I first started listening, it was twenty one. Rumors it was up to 27 at one point. What is the Steve Fezzik out count, number of outs that you have? Oh, my gosh. I'm embarrassed to say I I lost the majority of them. I'm down to like 13. What? I, Breaking news. It, it has become more and more, betting sports has become more and more like playing blackjack, where mm. it literally, if you're not throwing down cover, what do I mean by cover? Um there are times where I'll just go ahead and bet every game on the board in MLB. Hey, it's a dime line. The, the house edge is 2.3%. Um, just betting $100 on every game, say on a Wednesday, that's sufficient that anyone who looks at that knows no one can win playing that way. So now if you play that way and you're playing your props, um, you're playing your live betting, you can get away with um, staying with the book because you're not fitting the profile of what the bookie does not want to see. And that's very similar to a blackjack player laying down camouflage. If you do nothing but play completely by the book, count the cards, jump your bet when you have the edge, and vary your play based upon the count, and you only take insurance when the count's plus three, the true count is plus three or higher. You only stand on 16 against a 10 when the count is positive. Plays like that, you only doubled nine versus a two on a positive count. You are not going to be able to keep playing blackjack for very long at any casino. So ways around that, always stand on 16 versus a 10. It's not correct. On negative counts, it's wrong. Well, on negative counts, you're not betting very much. So it really doesn't matter that much. And the same thing has really become true in sports betting that when you do get these places that deal soft um, prop bets, that go ahead and deal live wagering and take bets instantaneously without approvals, that go ahead and allow you to tease NFL six points at minus $1.10, you've got to preserve those by making other bets, showing, frankly, that you're a sport, if nothing else, and giving the bookie an opportunity to beat you. Makes a lot of sense. I mean, you hear about these people betting hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, they're probably not very sharp sports bettors, but they also give the casino something. They're playing. These whale players are often playing blackjack and slots. So, yeah, it's like you're, if you're killing them in one area, you got to show them some love in an area. Show them, like you said, like you're a sport, that you're up for the game. Yeah, by the way, I did want to emphasize the when you play a two-team teaser, you're essentially just playing a two-team parlay and – you think you're only laying minus a dollar ten. You're really laying two sixty. And where I get that is if you started with two hundred sixty dollars and you just made a bet minus a dollar ten, or if you took those two hundred sixty dollars and bet a minus two sixty money line, cast your ticket, reinvested the winnings, and bet another minus two sixty money line, you would wind up with virtually the same amount of money. So when you're teasing an NFL favorite minus seven down to minus one, you should approach that and say, hey, all right now I'm betting minus one. I'm betting the Rams week one against the Bears, minus one, minus 260. Is that a bet I want to make? Now, if you could get the Rams minus 245, say, on the money line, you would never tease the Rams because the money line would be better. But guess what? A lot of times the money line's even higher. And some opportunities to look for 
a lot of times the bookie gets a little sloppy. And the bookie, instead of moving his point spread, he'll move the VIG. And it's not unusual that you'll see an NFL game minus 6.5, lay a dollar twenty-five. Minus seven, lay a dollar twenty-five. The bookie takes a big limit bet minus seven. Says, uh, I don't want to move to seven and a half. I could get middled on the game. I could get sided where someone will take back the seven and a half. I'll keep it at seven and I'll move the vig. But where they're vulnerable there is you can still play a teaser. And in fact, sometimes you can play a teaser and just arbitrage. So as an example, let's say a book is dealing minus six and a half, lay a dollar thirty, and their money line is minus three hundred, take back. 275. So, and they have good teaser odds. If you tease that six and a half point favorite down to minus a half, I understand teams can tie, but it's extremely unlikely. So, I think one tie, four ties the last four years. So we've done if, the research. That is correct. Yeah. So if you if you if you're playing minus a half, you're essentially playing the money line. And I just explained it's minus two sixty as a math if the two team teaser is at minus one ten. So if you're playing minus two sixty, essentially playing the money line for the first leg of your teaser, and you can bet plus two seventy five on the other team, that's a fifteen cent scalp, pure and simple. Now I get it. You can say, wait a minute. I get the second leg of the teaser to worry about as well. And if the games are going on simultaneously, you can't just arb a clear profit. But it's not unusual. This does happen that there's a Sunday game that a book is dealing my six and a half, lay a dollar twenty-five, and then they got a Monday night game they deal my seven, lay a dollar twenty. Uh, and I'll go ahead and play the teaser. And then I'll play the money lines, and I'll get rogue money lines as well right at post. And I might play a plus 290 to protect my teaser on Sunday. And then come Monday night, I might go ahead and play a plus 310 to protect the second leg of the teaser, which is worth even more, and just lock in a profit. In this example I gave you, yes, I recognize if uh, the Monday night favorite wins by exactly one, your teaser is going to get refunded and you're going to lose your money line bet. So maybe I should have just kept it consistent said on Monday night if it was a six-and-a-half-point favorite, lay a dollar twenty-five as well, just to keep it completely clean where this would just be a, a pure earn, nothing could happen aside from the game being canceled, that um, would go ahead and stop you from profiting. The lesson is get as many accounts as possible. Keep them active. Don't um, don't just cherry-pick books with mistakes like the U.S. under 46.5 golds because you're not going to be around come October at that book to keep betting against other things that may not be as good but still are quite strong. Talking about teasers, it's around the corner. I can't wait. I just pulled up what I think might be wrong. The Wong teaser potentials for week one. These, I think, pretty sure, maybe not the Rams, are in the corridor of what can be a profitable teaser. Any thoughts on any of these possibilities? Yeah, so the Wong teaser is you're essentially teasing minus 7.5, minus 8, and minus 8.5 down by 6 points. And you're teasing plus 1.5 up to plus 7.5, or plus 2 up to plus 8 plus two and a half up to plus eight and a half. Pretty much when you're playing these, the historically you've done better teasing the home team. There's more volatility with the road team, especially that road favorite. So be careful teasing the road teams, but those would indeed be the Wong. I would have argued the Rams would have been a great teaser because they would have gone up to seven and a half against the Bears or even eight if Cam Akers hadn't had the injury. Mm. But with his injury, I downgraded the Rams enough. I don't think that that line is going to go past seven. So I can't. Seven, 
is not uh, a long teaser. It's one that you certainly might want to fill. Another teaser you really like with to make it your other leg. The nice thing about that Rams teaser, it is Sunday night. It's the late game. Right. And those are the lines that if you got enough outs, you live in Vegas, you live in Jersey, heck, if you live in Colorado or soon to be Arizona or just about 30 of the 50 states, you're going to get a rogue Oh, my gosh. Across the board, you're going to get all kinds of value. First half Ram. You know you're going to get a plus four and a half uh, even money on the Bears. You're going to get a team total that um, you can play the Rams. You can bet against the Rams with a a sky-high team total. And during live wagering, on Sunday night and Monday night football, it is rare that I make a straight bet on the underdog because so often I'm betting all these derivatives on team totals – props on the favorite team on selective guys to go under. I get so much value on those that almost invariably those are stronger bets and they're all correlated. So if it should 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 happen that Stafford throws for 430 yards and Henderson runs for 190 and all and Cup and um and Woods go nuts, I'm going to get buried because I'm going to lose every bet. So I have to be careful with bankroll management that these are not um uh, the, these bets are all correlated, but I do hear sometimes pros saying, oh, there was nothing I could do. They gave me all these soft numbers, and I lost all those bets. Well, you could have gone ahead and played the Rams now in teasers, and you can get at the Rams, you know, minus seven even money right now, and go ahead and build a portfolio on the favorite, anticipating you're probably going to get really great bargains on those bears come opening week. Love portfolio betting. Football is especially gives you the special ability to do it because everything leads up to Sunday and everything leads up to Sunday night. I remember last year, do you remember the Eagles-Washington game, week 17? You had the line move early. I had Washington minus one. I had the Eagles plus six and a half. I had all kinds of parlays and hedges. It all came down to Sunday night, and I hit the middle. It was probably the you know most fortunate gambling uh, moment of my life. So I love those par- portfolio bets, especially when they all come down to one moment, and especially when you win all of them. But looking forward, these week one teaser potentials are the as following for week one. 49ers are seven and a half at the Lions, but as Fez just said, road teams are often not who you want to tease. Just talking about the Rams, they're minus seven, they're hosting the Bears. With Acres, even if that's worth a half point, it makes the Rams a tough play for me. The Giants plus one at Denver, they're not getting Aaron Rodgers, the Broncos. That line hasn't moved. I thought there was a chance. So that would be plus seven. It w- you'd have to do six and a half to get it to seven and a half. All right. Process of elimination. Fez, Seahawks plus two and a half at Indy. They are on the road, but they're in that special corridor. What do you think about that one? Yeah, I want to wait. I um, There's still so much uncertainty. Let me see how things uh, hash out. I, w- I would have said I absolutely want to tease the Rams right now. But after the Acres injury, there's no hurry. So... I might get three on Seattle, so I don't want to tease. Teasing a two-and-a-half up to eight-and-a-half is a disaster if the, if you can actually get plus three, and that may well come to pass. As far as the Giants-Denver, sure seems like maybe you should play the Giants now. It's um, uh, The Broncos, you know, this is curious because there was a chance they were going to get Rodgers. That was the talk, and their numbers haven't moved. Denver, everyone's talking about their roster. Their season win numbers still under nine lay a dollar 20 in some spots so that's interesting to me that that Denver um, that number inflated from seven and a half up to 8.8 8 
during the summer, I thought a big part of that was that maybe they could get Rodgers. And now that they can't get Rodgers, the Denver number hasn't come down yet. Yeah, wait a minute. This actually might be an opportunity. I'm looking at our numbers. It opened at 7.5, and, and it's been at 8.8, like you said, all summer. Now it's at 8.7 season wins for the Broncos. Is the under the play here? You know, it's interesting because I think it is, but a lot of really sharp guys are touting how special the Denver um, roster is. And the bottom line is I still, if you don't have a quarterback, you don't win 10 games. So I could only look under with Denver right now. But um, then again, if I wait, it's probably going to go down to eight and a half. But I do have sharp guys I know, one in particular that specializes in season wins, and he still likes Denver over. So I might wait for him to maybe nudge the market (laughs) slightly upwards before firing on that. Uh, That's regular season. Let's talk a little preseason. Did a little research here. NFL preseason, I have very little on the Hall of Fame game right now, so I'm going to skip past it. That's week zero. As far as week one, week one has actually become a good week in recent times to bet over. Let me give you the numbers here. 2019, games went 8, 6, and 2 to the over. Nothing special there. But the average score was 41.5 points. The average total being dealt was 36. 2018, games went 11 and 5 to the over. Average score, 42 points. Average total dealt 36. So fast forward to 2021. No preseason last year. The average total being dealt is just around 36 again. I don't think the odds makers have adjusted for the recent higher scoring NFL games. And because of that, I would go ahead and look selectively to go over in pretty much right now every game. And then you can go ahead and, and handicap your quarterback rotations, etc., team histories. But um I would not touch an under, I think, every total. I I would say three-quarters of these totals I expect to continue to rise as we head towards the games, and I would not bet them right now. You know, NFL preseason, one of the great ways to bet week one used to be to play the second half under, and if you could ever catch a 17, that was an auto bet to play under 17, higher scoring the first half versus the second half. Although 17, I still think is... Solid value to play second half under. The books have largely caught up on that and that they're dealing much more likely 15s and 16s in the second half. First half, more likely to get dealt closer to 20. And further, when I went back into the data, the second half scoring in recent times does seem like it's increased slightly versus what it had been in prior years. So be careful about going ahead and just playing under in the second half, thinking, okay, now that we've got all the bad players in there, we um, it's going to be really hard to score. And one thing to look for is certainly mobile quarterbacks because oftentimes the offense breaks down, but the defense doesn't have a spotter on the quarterback, and it's not unusual. You can see 30-yard runs and the like. So uh, a mobile quarterback can be worth a lot in preseason football. And that's certainly a consideration. Preseason 2021, very strange format this year. We've never seen this before. So we're going to see the Hall of Fame game. Then we're going to see weeks one, two, and three, followed by a bye week for all the NFL teams. And then NFL week one. This is going to create some um, unusual dynamics, if you will. 
in terms of how teams go ahead and approach the preseason, I can see some teams saying, you know, I'm still going to have my dress rehearsal in the second to last game week two, and then I'm not going to play anyone week three. I do think it's going to be more common that most teams are going to go ahead and use week three as their dress rehearsal saying, hey, it's our last game, but because we have another week off and the like, we can go ahead and play our starters. But I think that the starters, unlike in prior years where they would play most of the game, I think the starters are only going to play half of NFL Week 3 preseason. So a lot of times when you're betting those, you may consider betting the first half knowing you're getting apples to apples, first team versus first teams. And then in the second half, it becomes an information game. Who might play their starters into the third quarter and who won't play their starters? One thing, we might look at some of these teams that really got injured last year, like the 49ers. You're 49ers, McKenzie. That's probably a team that is going to err on the side of, you know what, if we don't get quite enough snaps, that's okay. It's a 17-game season this year. What do you think about maybe the Niners not being very good at the back end of the preseason this year? You threw it to me, so i got to mention my family connection. I asked my Uncle Mike Shanahan when I was a ball boy back in Denver in 2005, how many preseason games would you ideally have? Immediately, no hesitation, zero. <laughs> zero preseason games. All he's worried about, I mean, this is his dad. This is not Kyle Shanahan. But all his dad was thinking about was get healthy, 55 guys to week one. I'm pretty sure Kyle thinks similarly, would not expect, and we've seen this in the past, not only him, but his protege, McVay, <laughs> probably doesn't like that term, LaFleur. They tend to not play a lot of guys in the preseason, and I think it's smart. Very good. You know, I wanted, before we get to best bets, I wanted to talk a little bit about the summertime. Obviously, a lot of us are betting baseball, but it is a slower time. It's the one time a year where you do have the opportunities to get out and take advantage of other opportunities. Poker, blackjack, and like, by the way, I'm going to have a blackjack. Eh, I think I'll have a couple blackjack questions maybe in the, in this podcast. Why see, not a master class? Uh, we'll see if we'll see we'll see if people get get <laughs> these right. I'll make uh, this is on the fly. Um Mackenzie, you went ahead used to play poker semi-pro for a while. You hadn't been playing and you said you went out and got a chance to play recently, right? Yep, Santa Fe Casino made myself a nice tidy 80 bucks, paid for the buffet. Vegas is back, baby. You know, now that's interesting because so he played at Santa Fe for those unfamiliar with Vegas. In the Valley, there's Locals Casinos. That's a station casino that is all the way on the furthest north point uh, the Santa Fe is. So the bad news is you won't get very many tourists. The good news is the locals who play probably play very predictably, not a lot of bluffing, um, and probably want to see a lot of hands and a lot of calling stations. Am I right? Maybe a coincidence that there's a 65 and older apartment building right next to the Santa Fe station, but it's a lot of conservative play. It's really a lot of guys that seem to be there for the conversation. I'm there for the money, which is helpful. You know, one thing that people don't talk about is the how good a game is at poker oftentimes is indirectly correlated to how good the parking is. If you give mm. really convenient parking, then a lot of these poker players are very lazy. So if they can go ahead and park at the Venetian, which would be Palazzo, um, certainly the win, places like that, the Mirage that are easy to get in and out of, I've always found that the games are tougher. There's more pros in them. Whereas, to contrast, the MGM Grand is a really difficult place to find any 
way to access it um, easily. And I would park it. Um, what used to be uh, Hooters or the Tropicana, walk across the street and get to it that way. But um, that little extra walking, oftentimes you were, were rewarded with really, really good poker games because it makes sense, you know, that the poker players, a lot of them out of shape, just um, they're so arrogant. They're like, well, I'll be better than everyone regardless. I don't need to go through the hassle of trying to find my way to um, to that spot. That is brilliant. Only in dreams type stuff. My whole poker life just flashed before my eyes. I did way better at MGM than I did at the win, like you said, easy to park, easy to get in there. I did way better at the Golden Nugget where there's no free parking than I did at, you know, any other easier place to park. I think you just, like, might have doubled my profitability as a poker player just with that insight. All you need to do is find one bridal party or one a bachelor party and just stay there all night. You hit the right one. It's like, it's 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 gold. Oh yeah, the gold nugget. I I played there before, and that those games are great. You know, I I did a free roll, and I ran good at Caesar's Palace, where if you played enough enough hours, you got put into a free roll. And actually, I won the free roll and wound up in the main event. That's the first time I played in the main event. Both times I played, I um, won my way in. But um, I played 15 sessions. You needed 60 hours. I averaged four hours. Maybe I was a little bit too conservative at the very end wanting to book wins, but I won all 15 sessions. This was like back in 2004. It was a lot easier back then where literally you could just sit back and set mine and the like. And I found I, I had success because I was very, very tight back then. But when I did play, I was super aggressive. So there would be times where I hadn't played – in three orbits, and all of a sudden I'm limping and then I'm re-raising with a jack-10 of diamonds, and everyone would put me on aces, and maybe they'd call, make a crying call with a pair of fives, try to flop a set, but I got credit for my hands, and I would tend to do that against the better players who would only be playing back at me if they actually had the goods. So I kind of miss those days. There's, um, It's very difficult to do everything um, because sports is just 24-7. It takes up so much time to do it right that um, inevitably when I would play poker, I'd look back and be like, oh, this was a great opportunity on a baseball game or like, and I, I missed it and didn't play it. Uh, let me give a little blackjack basic uh, strategy question. I'm going to ask Spencer and I'm going to ask Mackenzie. Spencer, you play blackjack, right? I've never played before, uh, like in a casino, but I know you know how to play blackjack. <laughs> okay, you're home. You're home. You're well. I'll, I'll go ahead and ask Mackenzie first, and you can you can chime in. So, basic strategy. I want to keep this simple here. Mackenzie, you have a pair of sevens. You're playing double deck. All right, mm, okay. you're allowed to double after splits, and you are not allowed to surrender. I'll make this easy. It's double deck, and you have a pair of sevens, and the dealer has a ten up. What is the correct play? Do I know the count? Yes. You've been actively counting the cards, and the count is zero. Count is zero. Excellent question. Mm. I think I stay. Mackenzie says stay. Spencer, what do you think? Uh, I'll stay, too. I guess, that, I guess that sounds like the more correct answer. Four, 14 on a 10? It sounds like a stay to me. Oh, my goodness. All right. <laughs> that is not what I wanted to hear. So, um... What I wanted to hear, Mackenzie, and we uh, is that oh, 
I have depleted the double deck from two sevens. So there's only eight sevens, and I've taken two of them away. Obviously, I hit 14 against a 10. That's the basic strategy. But because it's that, it's 25% less likely I can pull to 21, that that is enough to sway me such that I will stay on a fairly close call versus hitting because of the, um, the diminished number of sevens. But it's a trick question. It turns out in single deck, all this applies because now you've taken 50% of the sevens out of the deck because you've only taken 25% of them out with a pair of sevens on a double deck. You indeed do hit, and hit is the correct answer. But because of the way I phrased it, Oftentimes, I trick people into they think it's a trick question, and they wind up standing on their 14s. Basic strategy, of course, you're going to hit all the way up to 17 against a dealer 10. Higher than 12, lower than 17 against the 10 you're hitting? Yes, and 16 against the 10 is a dead optional play. If you do catch a couple of 8s, you would split them. But um, um, And if you catch 16 against a 10 or 15 against a 10, if you can surrender—excuse me, correct— that's not correct. 16 against a 10 or ace is a surrender. 15 against a 10 is a hit, but it's a really close play. If you get any positive count, you're supposed to surrender. But the correct answer for everyone out there, double deck, pair of sevens, just hit it again. And uh, that is somewhat of a trick blackjack yeah. question. <laughs> Let me just say to uh, you know protect my own ignorance here. I would I would hit a 14 against a 10. For some reason, the way you phrased it, I was thinking, should I split? No, I can't split. It's a terrible bet. So th- when I said no split, I thought stay. But if I was just playing, I think I would hit on a. I would always hit on a fourteen. Uh, you know, basic strategy. All right, I'm going to give you one angle shoot when you're at Santa Fe. All right. One angle shoot is if you get a pair of fives and the dealer has a six up. Normal rules. How do you play that? Repeat it one more time. You have a pair of fives and the dealer shows a six up. You're not counting. Double down. You double down. How do you double guess. down? You put the money next to the other money. What do you mean? And what else? That's correct. And what else do you do? Oh, can you split and double down? I don't know. The correct way to play this, if you're angle shooting, not that I'm encouraging this, nor would I discourage it, <laughs> you put the money up. And then when the dealer says double down or the dealer says one card, you say one card. If the dealer says nothing, which this happens about 3% of the time and just whacks you with a card and happens to give you a five, you you you, you stare up at his eyes and say, I was splitting. Because <laughs> he does have to ask you. And if he does not ask you, you hey. absolutely sh- we should be given the right to either uh, – well, he has to give you the right to go ahead and split the hand because he did not ask you. <laughs> One in 33 times that cashes. I love it. That is a valuable strategy right there. I have done that before, and I've been told that's fine, sir, but this is going to be your last hand <laughs> that you're going to play here. So just a just an angle shoot that I wouldn't recommend. So you, you can't but- play blackjack at the South Point. You can't play sports at the South Point. Can you even go to the South Point at this point? The South Point, you know, I I, I can go to the coffee shop and get the three ninety nine, <laughs> sorry, four ninety nine steak and eggs, and it, it's got to cost them at least nine dollars to produce that. So I I can basically beat them out of five dollars every night while I um, increase my cholesterol count. <laughs> um, you know, there's I was I wanted to say there's one more. Um, angle shoot that's that's a really a good one. My buddy Mike did this one years and years ago at the Rio. Double deck, no mid-shoe entry. He had a hand of 600 and 800 up, 800 on the second hand. Count was through the roof. And he got dealt a couple stiffs, and the dealer had a 10 up. And 
immediately Mike starts yelling, no mid-shoe entry, no mid-shoe entry, because the fellow had come in and bet $15 at first base on a mid-shoe entry, which by rule is not allowed, and the pit boss was more than gracious, walked on over, and Mike was saying, those hands are dead. And he says, relax, relax, let's play this out. <laughs> the dealer made 20, and he just looked at my buddy, and he just said, that's a push. And if the um, dealer, I can't remember if he had busted or not, uh, I think I think the pit boss just flipped over the dealer's whole card, and the and and the dealer beat everyone. And he he said everybody pushes, and if the dealer had busted, every he would have paid everyone. So that's um, a nice little angle shoot if you ever see um, no mid shoe entry that you absolutely could employ, and you would be right to do so. No one, I mean, it changes all the order of the cards, and it's against the rules. You can you're not obligated to um, to have any action on that hand. In fact, your hand could just be ruled dead. In fact. So he wouldn't invite the situation. He wouldn't say, hey, I'm going to start playing and then come in and I'm going to yell, no Mitchu entry, so I get a free roll. No, he, okay. he, he just was <laughs> observant of, of what was going on. Um, let's go, uh, let's do a few uh, best bets if we can. What say you? Let's do it. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Buy up your pad and pencil. Hitman, back from vacation, ready to roll preseason. Game one, two, zero, zero, Saturday, August 14th. He's got the Jaguars. He still get plus three and a half. We'll grade him plus three and a half, lay a dollar 15, I think, on this one. Um, hosting the Browns, I cannot understand even while the Browns are favored in this game. The Jaguars have a very favorable quarterback rotation every desire to win NFL. They're talking about sellouts in without any COVID um, uh, restrictions. I don't know if that's going to apply in Jacksonville where people, they never sell out, but a lot of excitement and buzz with uh, Trevor Lawrence coming in. So I think Jaguars have every incentive to win the game. I don't know if the Browns do Jacksonville plus three and a half best bet for the Hitman. And we talked about it earlier in the pod, mobile quarterbacks in the preseason, especially early on when you don't have very sophisticated offense. I feel like Trevor Lawrence, the 6'6 golden god that he is, is going to dominate in the preseason. Yeah, and you've you got Minshew and C.J. Beathard. So very good quarterback rotation. Let me go. I agree wholeheartedly with that play. Let me go to the totals here week one. I talked about how selectively I like all the totals to go over. Um, I'm having trouble identifying which one I want to give out. So I'm just going to go ahead and give Miami and Chicago game 113. It stands at 34. There's been sharp movement on the over. I see both teams as teams that absolutely want to be working on their offense to improve after last year. And I expect that um, the Bears will have every incentive to have Justin Fields to look as good as he can in preseason and to put the right personnel in to help him to do that. We're going to go over 34, Miami, Chicago, my best bet. NBA draft right around the corner here, and we have a best bet from Spencer. Spencer, take it away. Oh, my first best bet. This is a little nerve-wracking. But, no, I like Davian Mitchell under 13-and-a-half. It was around his uh, pick total there. Uh, this is a guy who is really explosive defensively, perhaps the most – 
prolific defensive guard in the NBA draft, but it's not just a defensive stopper. He has so much explosion offensively, shot around 43% from downtown. He had a lot of questions going into his last season there with Baylor on whether or not he'd be able to shoot from the perimeter. I can't imagine he's not, you know, perking ears around the NBA. I don't know why he's projected to go that low, but he's one of my favorite guys in this draft, and I imagine some team is not going to let him slide, you know, probably past the 10 spot. Davian Mitchell, under a 13F to go in the top 13. There it is. Spencer, best bet on the pod. So I tell you what, we are all as excited as can be about the upcoming football season. Hall of Fame game goes in eight days. So we'll be talking NFL preseason. We'll be talking NFL. And we will certainly have some college football discussion as well. I know that last year it was primarily just an NFL um, podcast, but um, I would imagine that we're going to have um, some quality talk and college football this coming year. I know me personally, I'm going to specialize in the Big Ten. I already decided I'm going to go ahead and really spend extra time each week just on the Big Ten. I always speak about specialization, and that's going to be my conference of choice to go ahead and follow. And it makes sense because I did go to a Big Ten school. So, you know, that should certainly help me with um, uh, having. Uh, just a familiarity with all of those schools. So that will be coming in the near future. And what will be probably one of the most interesting pods is going to be that week after week three of preseason when we have only college games but no NFL games until the following week. So uh, stay tuned for that. And thanks to everyone who is listening. And we will be back with you next week. Mm-hmm.